Hello and welcome or welcome back to Morning Cup of Controversy. I'm your host Ryan and this week I want to talk about the case of Andrea Yates for a little bit. Um, This is going to be quite an episode so disclaimer right now there's a lot of first of all religious talk I wouldn't say argument it's more just me not agreeing with the religious things that she struggled with. There's talk of mental health issues, there's murder, there's suicide. There's a lot of topics in this episode that are quite triggering for some people, so if this is an episode you do not think you can listen to, I would go ahead and skip it right now. But as always, let's get into the question of the week first, which last week we talked about what is your favorite meal? And I was pretty basic and just said crawfish because that's pretty much my favorite meal, the crawfish boil. Um, We had some pretty good answers. Somebody said chicken and gnocchi soup, which that sounds kind of bougie, but I would love to try that. That sounds really good. Um, A good burger, (laughs) obviously, is always, always a good meal. And then seafood. I kind of said that same answer too just by saying crawfish but just a good seafood boil or just like a good plate of salmon and noodles like I don't know if that's just me but mm, that shit is good. This week I want to talk about this topic in the question of the week. I want to know how this case makes you feel. Once we get into a little bit you'll see that it was a very polarizing case um, and so kind of which side are you on? And I'll come back to that at the at the end before we do the quote of the week. But let's just move right into it. With this episode being about Andrea Yates, I wanted to start off with her youth. Um, I did watch a lot of documentaries while studying her trial and her case and her life and everything that started out with like the murders. But I wanted to start with her youth and kind of help you explain, help you understand who she was before you know what she did. I mean, you're going to know what she did. I'm going to tell you what she did, but still, I want you to see like who she was and what led up to these moments in her life before you see what she really did and, you know, that, that stuff and like the case and the trial and blah, blah, blah. So as some of you may know, Andrea Yates murdered her five kids. Um, I'll get to how later, because I, like I said, I want to talk about her youth first. So, I'll let y'all wonder for a bit. Andrea loved her family growing up. She was the captain of the swim team. She was the historian of the National Honor Society, and she even graduated valedictorian of her class. Her childhood best friend told um, in an interview that she wanted to be excellent. She wanted to be the best at anything that she did. She had to do it perfectly. Um, after she graduated from the University of Texas School of Nursing, she moved into an apartment in the suburbs and started dating. Her childhood best friend also said that she would say Andrea getting married and having five kids was impossible because she never dated. So it was just wasn't something that people saw her, like saw for her, you know? But while living in um, her new apartment that she got into after um, nursing school, that's where she met Rusty, 
um, who is her future husband. Um, she would they would see each other, and he would kind of think like, "There's no way I'm gonna get her." And it it was true for the first couple of months because she ignored him. But after that, she made the first move, and they ended up starting starting to date. And it was only three years before they decided that they wanted to get married. And back then, that wasn't like too crazy. I mean, I say back then, but it was like 1998 or something like that. It's like it was not, it wasn't that long ago. Andrea was always really like uncomfortable when it came to sex, even after they had kids, but it was just, it was crazy. Lots of people in her life believed that she wanted to go back to nursing after she had kids, but Rusty would tell the author of Breaking Point that he knew she didn't and that they had talked about it. So this author of Breaking Point is going to come up quite a bit because they were interviewed very heavily in this episode uh, or this documentary that I watched. Um, and I will let you guys know which documentaries that I watched also and which ones I found like the most helpful in learning about her. I did pluck a lot of the information from a lot of different ones, so I just kind of had to piece it together. The author also said that she didn't know what to believe that Andrea was a people pleaser and would probably say whatever to agree with whoever she was talking about at the time. You know, she's just that type of person. Um, something that I found kind of weird was that her childhood childhood best friend says that she knew Andrea wanted the Barb and Cleaver lifestyle and that Andrea was okay with Rusty going back to work. I thought it was weird or like odd of you know the best friend to say that because literally like two minutes ago I had just got a quote of her saying that she didn't see Andrea living like with a husband and having five kids because she never dated so I don't know I just thought it was weird that she would also say I knew like I just knew that she wanted this lifestyle but you also said that you couldn't see her having that lifestyle. Like, what? I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it was a little bit sketchy. But moving past that, um, we're getting to where her diagnosis starts. Kind of where she starts having visions. Um, so Andrea's defense psych says that she was suffering a lot during this time um, as a stay-at-home mother. Um, she had... <coughs> excuse me. She had thoughts or visions of a knife. She had thoughts about stabbing someone in blood. And um, she thought she heard Satan speak to her for real after the birth of her first Noah. Um, which was crazy. Absolutely crazy. So the fact that like she's dealing with that and like all these symptoms were undiagnosed. That makes it so much worse. And so she kept all this along with other symptoms a secret. So none of it would ever be diagnosed, you know? Andrea had to be perfect. The perfect student, the perfect daughter, the perfect nurse. So she, she could not reveal to anyone that she was having these thoughts. And that was a quote from the author of Breaking Point. And I think I forgot to mention it, but the author of Breaking Point is, um, Breaking Point is basically a book that's about Andrea and her case and what she went through. And it's also from the perspective of Rusty, um, her husband but she was very secretive if she didn't want to tell you something there was no hint you weren't going to get anything out of her basically um during the four years after having the rest of the kids rusty and andrea were following the teachings of a fire and brimstone street preacher 
that Rusty met in college. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's a tape of Christian preaching that uses vivid descriptions of judgment and eternal damnation to encourage repentance. So, <clears throat> that's kind of what I was saying I don't really agree with. And it frustrates me that she was stuck in that path because she was so vulnerable she would believe that she would believe anything that anybody said to her. So Michael Warren Eckie and his wife Rachel corresponded with their followers mostly through letters and videos. Um, they would often get in trouble with the authorities due to their aggressive style and eventually left their home state of Michigan to avoid prosecution. That's how bad it was. Like they literally were getting people into trouble and the police wanted them for that. So um and I also have some quotes from another person who ended up following the preacher for 12 years after he met him in college as well. And his name was David De La Isla. Isla sorry. Um, and he recalls that in Michael's teaching, he constantly says only a few will make it. So the red light went off when I started to become very suspicious of the notion that there's many people that come to salvation and not just a few as he teaches. Michael Warren Eckie taught that to live in a house in the suburbs was to participate in or subscribe to the evil satanic spirit amongst or against God. So De La Isla believed that the only reason the Yates family moved into a trailer home at one point was strictly because of those teachings. Because they believed so wholeheartedly in pretty much everything that Michael De La Michael Warren Eckie said. <coughs> And it was sad because it kind of caused a lot of turmoil in their lives. But by the time Andrea had her third child, she had built a strong connection with the Warren Eckies, corresponding with them very often. The Warren Eckies had posted an ad for a renovated used Greyhound bus, which was approximately 350 square feet. The Yates family then downsized again to that bus with their three small children. So on top of having to take care of her three kids, having them back to back and having to care for them full time, Andrea also took care of her elderly father with Alzheimer's. <coughs> she was struggling a lot at this time. Not only was it difficult for her just to be in that space in general, but she was going through a lot with her mental health that she couldn't talk about and wouldn't talk about and nobody knew. People at the RV park would tell you they knew something was wrong. They would tell Rusty, help her. He would say, I'm the breadwinner and she takes care of the kids. They would say, Rusty, help her. She cannot do this. She needs help. And he would say, this is what she wants. You don't know. He would he would force her practically to stay there. And I don't, I don't 100% think that he was forcing her. I think that to a degree she did want this. But I feel like also it was the postpartum talking. Because that's what she was suffering with for so long. And nobody even knew. And it was crazy. I keep saying that it was crazy, but it re it really is. Like, you'll see here in a minute, like, the, the extent that it takes her to. It's just, like, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. They continued to follow Michael Warnecki at this time. And De La Isla said about Michael that he was like a doctor. He diagnosed your spiritual state by what you would write him. He encourages you to describe where you are with God, and then he responds to you back with a letter um, and a, with a written diagnosis picking out your flaws. 
And he also said that Michael believed that all women had some type of witchcraft um, nature from Eve and had some spirit of Jezebel in them. So they should be a certain servant to a man. I personally didn't... I don't know anything about the Bible or the characters from the Bible. So I don't know about Eve or Jezebel. But just from the research that I did, I know that... Michael Warnecke believes that Jezebels are like whores, basically, and Eve is a witch. So just basing it off that, it, it must have been tough for Andrea to feel like that's how that's what her God thought of her because of her kids, and that's really all Michael Warnecke engraved into her brain was that her kids were the reason that her life was shit and. Her kids were disobedient, and they weren't acting right, so it was her fault, you know? The author of Breaking Point, she literally said, From the letters I have that Rachel Rachel Warren Eckie wrote to Andrea, it was, You're evil, you're wicked, you're the daughter of Eve, who is a wicked witch, and your, your opportunity for us to minister you is closing, and you have to repent now. And so she was scared. She genuinely believed in what these people were preaching and getting a note like that from somebody that you genuinely believe, I can only imagine how, like, absolutely mind-boggling that would be. Like, I'd be scared, but I don't know, because it's hard to kind of, like, when you believe in something so wholeheartedly, it's hard to separate that from reality because it is reality at that point. Like, for her, it was reality, you know? Michael Warren Eckie's teachings were particularly judgmental when it came to raising kids, like I said. Um, they believe that today's mothers are too permissive. The next thing I'm going to read to you is a part from one of Michael Warren Eckie's newsletters that he would write. Um, and this one he kind of targeted directly at Andrea. It says, Modern Mother Worldly was very, very lazy. All her children drove her crazy. The Bible told her to spank and train them, but society said she must never constrain them. The fruit of rebellion she did now see. On the day of judgment, she will have no plea. Modern mother worldly cast in hell. Now what becomes of the children of such a Jezebel? I'm just going to let that one sink in for a second because... <sighs> wow. The fact that she believed this stuff so hard, like she, that's what she thought of herself. This really gave the notion to Andrea that her kids are going to go to hell. And she did not want that. I feel like that was really the one thing that she did this for was to make sure her kids didn't end up in hell. Which is actually really sad because this is, she was driven to a point where she thought that this was the only way. This was the only thing that was going to do anything. Right before her 35th birthday, Andrea had her fourth child, Luke. When Luke was four months old, Rusty got a phone call from Andrea telling him to come home. I need your help. Um, it was obviously way more frantic than that, the way I just said that. But he gets home to the 350 square feet bus that they live in and says, what's the matter? Only to find Andrea sitting there biting her fingers. Her arms and legs were trembling, and she looked up at him and said, I just need your help. And she had suffered from a mental breakdown. 
By December of 1999, her life was in turmoil. She was still caring for her father while homeschooling her three older boys and now nursing her new infant, all while living in that tiny-ass bus and still following the teachings of Michael Warnecke. This mental breakdown literally was caused by Michael Warnecke, I'm convinced. Like, it was caused by his videos and the things that he would say to her. She received this video shortly before this mental breakdown, and um, it basically said, it was like as if he was reading off of a piece of paper. He said, but whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and he be dropped into the depths of the sea. Then he pauses and he looks up at the camera and continues, I mean, Jesus, you're saying kill yourself? Yeah. Rusty doesn't know what to do after Andrea's mental breakdown, so he takes her and the kids for a walk on the beach in Galveston. I mean, I didn't address that last thing that he said, but it's it's just kind of, like, mind-blowing to me that, like, there's humans out there who are pretty much coercing people into killing children and killing themselves because they don't think that they're worthy in God's eyes whenever the God that the, that these people are preaching about is really just things that they're making up in their head. Like, it's frustrating. Religion is very frustrating for me. So, like I said, Rusty takes them for a watch on the Galveston Beach. In the trial, they ask him why he did this, and he literally said, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I wasn't surprised by that answer because, unfortunately, it's pretty typical, especially if you've never suffered with mental illness like Rusty. It's pretty, it's pretty common that people just don't know what to do when their loved ones are suffering, especially to that extent. Like she literally was, like, chewing, like, gnawing on her fingers, like, freaking out, plucking bald spots in her head. Like, she was not okay, and he had never seen her like that before. He never seen anybody like that before. How, how is he supposed to know what to do? You know, like, we're not supposed to know what to do it's just about doing what you can and the fact that he even did anything shows that he cares and that he wanted to help her he just didn't know what was the right thing to do to help her the next day they go to andrea's family's house um after they do that walk on the beach he thought it might be nice for her to see her mom she ended up trying to kill herself that night by overdosing on her dad's sleeping medicine this came as a complete shock to the entire family. Um, her brothers said that something must have weakened her to the point that she felt the need to commit suicide. She was rushed into a hospital and transferred to the psych unit where she was diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. She was prescribed Zoloft and stayed there for a week and medical records show that she was only released because the insurance had ran out. It didn't matter if she was well or not. The insurance ran out, so they kicked her out. From there, she was sent to go see a Dr. Starbranch, a psychiatrist who suggested switching from the antidepressant to an antipsychotic called Zyprexa, which is used to treat bipolar mania and schizophrenia. Andrea didn't want to be on any medication. The Warneckes believed that meds and doctors were bad and were spawns from the devil so she flushed the very expensive medication down the toilet 
I looked it up and it is very expensive for even like a month's worth it's like three hundred four hundred dollars so she also developed a habit of cheeking medications um, so that she didn't have to take them while staying at her parents house to try and recover she began to pick at her skin and the bald spots in her head got worse she just kept scratching at them she began to hallucinate and re-experience the visions that she had after her first son She's having visions of, and she says, get a knife, get a knife, get a knife. So she runs to the kitchen, and she gets a steak knife. And then she goes up to the bathroom and is holding it up to her neck. And when Rusty notices that she's missing, he finds her in the bathroom, and she says, get back, please let me do it, please let me do it. And this was from the author of Breaking Point. And so at this point, they obviously took her back to a psychiatric treatment facility where she was put into a private center for treatment. And... She was giving an, given an emergency dose of the antipsychotic Haldol. This helped to loosen her up, and she admitted to experiencing the knife vision at least ten times in the last several days. Um, she was just worried that all of her visions predicted violence, and she didn't like want to do these things it was just that her visions were telling her that they were true and she had to make them true otherwise there was nothing else that she felt she could do to stop it when she went to the hospital this time she had claw marks on her legs from trying to quote trying to hold herself back from hurting anyone her defense psych also noted that about 50 percent of women with postpartum psychosis go on to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder um, and her diagnosis at the hospital stay was major depressive disorder with severe and reoccurrent psych psychosis features. Psychosis features. Yeah. Defense psych also said that she probably had it for a long time, um, but her symptoms just weren't as severe before. Major depressive disorder shows up. Um, in a lot of different ways, and a lot of her family had also sought help for sought help for depression and bipolar as well. Women who have relatives with manic depressive disorder are at a higher risk of getting postpartum psychosis, so she was already at a high risk anyway because, like I said, a lot of her family members had reached out for help. The psych at the hospital recommended electroshock therapy, but her and Rusty decided against it, as she should have. Um, and after three weeks, she was released with prescriptions for lots of stuff, including antidepressants, Welbutrin, and Effexor, and the antipsychotic Haldol. She also went to monthly visits with Dr. Starbranch still. Andrea's mom told Rusty, get her a house, no more bus. So when she was still in the hospital before he got her out, he got them a house in Clear Lake. September of 1999, her condition was getting better being in that house. She even threw a birthday party for one of the kids and made a huge fire truck cake, which I saw a picture of, and it was really, really cool. She enjoyed being able to take care of her infant and um, homeschool the other three. In November of 1999, Rusty and Andrea decided that they wanted to have another kid against doctor's advice because it could just cause another psychotic break for her. Unfortunately, Rusty was still, for some reason, very undereducated on the severity of her disease, and he said, and I quote, if someone told you that you could have a Mercedes for free, but you would have the 
flu for two weeks. Would you take it? Hell yes. Andrea might get sick, but there's medicines out there that'll help her and will get her on them. Which is, it. that's what I said, it's just so ignorant of him. Because she, there was so, there's obviously serious dangers associated with her bringing kids in this world. So, the fact that, like, he didn't even have the decency to think about that and consider that it might cause her life to literally end, I don't know. It's just, it blows me. But anyway, Andrea, again, against doctor orders, stopped taking her meds, including her birth control, and on November 30th, 2000, Mary was born. Cannot believe she had five kids, honestly. I feel like I can say that I can't believe she had five kids because, I don't know, personally, as somebody specifically severe anxiety and depression and PTSD, I don't think I could have five kids even if I wanted to. Like, I could not. I don't think my body could handle it, first of all, but I also don't think that I could handle it mentally, just like Andrea. I don't think I'd murder my kids, but I don't think that I would be able to be sane 99% of the time. I, you know, probably like 80% of the time I'd be good, but I feel like there's a lot that goes along with having five kids, especially as quick as she was having them. And on top of that, three months before she committed the murders, her father passed away and they were very close. She literally cared for him his adulthood you know so i'm at you can imagine how tough this was and she began to deteriorate she stopped talking she refused to drink she began to scratch bald spots in her head again and rusty recognized these symptoms and took her for treatment in the next two months she would be treated and discharged from private care facilities twice she was put on new meds and new doses her family was not aware that Andrea was going on this roller coaster ride of emotions and mental breakdowns and everything that she was struggling with. They said they say that they know more now than they did then, like before all of it happened. So just two days before the murders, Rusty took her for a psych checkup and they told and told them that she was not improving and they adjusted her meds again. Her defense attorney said that there wasn't just any just one stressor to cause her to eventually go into this psychosis. Just her mental health, having children, and her religious, de her religious delusions alone were a recipe for disaster. Andrea actually said herself, It's better to have a heavy millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. June 20th, 2001, she murdered her kids. She drowned all five of them in the bathtub to, quote, save their souls. All five of them, she drowned them in the bathtub. Couple quotes here. Sickest woman I've ever seen. In her world, there was no way out for her kids unless she was, unless she sent them to God. I also have fabulous mother here because some people thought that she was still an amazing mother despite what she did. They thought that she was just doing what she knew for her kids. 911 says, what's your name? She says, Andrea Yates. 
They say, what's the problem? She said, I just need them to come. They say, is your husband there? She said, no. They say, well, what's the problem? Her, I just need them to come. They say, I need to know why we're coming, ma'am. Is he standing there next to you? They must have assumed that she was in some type of domestic like like situation. But she says, no. They say, are you having a disturbance, ma'am? Are you ill? And she says, um, yes, I'm ill. She, they say, do you need an ambulance? And she said, no, I need a police officer. And then, yeah, send an ambulance. After that, she made a phone call to Rusty at work and told him that something was wrong and he needed to get home. He asked if it was the kids. She said yes. He said how many? And she said all of them. She confessed to the police officers as soon as they showed up. They got to the door and asked, what's the problem? And she literally said, I killed my children. Rusty arrived shortly after the police did, and when he found out what had happened, he obviously was traumatized. He fell to the grass and started slamming his fists and, you know, screaming, why? How could you do this? He eventually got up and started looking for her and shouting around the house. Um, people who knew her said that they just couldn't see Andrea doing this. They just couldn't see... Andrea doing something like this to her kids. Her mom and brothers said that they never suspected a thing. When they took her down to the station, they did so through the back door of her of their house to avoid Rusty seeing her. Um, and once they started an interrogation, um, I have some more quotes from that. The cop had asked, after you drew the bath water, what was your intent? What were you about to do? And she said, drown the children. Um, and he asks, so he asks, what time did you get out of bed this morning? She said around 8.10. He asked who all was awake at this time, and she answered, um, my husband, Mary, Luke, and Paul. Her defense psych said that their first meeting, she was the sickest person that they had ever seen in their lives. She wasn't bathed, her shirt was falling off, her hair was hanging in her face, she had no bra, and she was literally shaking. Her eyes had no pupils. And at this point, you could ask her any question about what had happened, but if you asked her why, her eyes would just... It would just send her into a never-never land, says the defense attorney. The defense said her first thought was postpartum psychosis, which happens to one in every thousand women, um, and it takes the form of delusions. Uh, this horrible tragedy about postpartum psychosis is that the delusion is often about the child. So while the defense worked on an insanity case for her, the state worked on getting evidence to prove that Andrea was crimin criminally responsible. Texas law says, does the person have a severe mental illness, and if they do, does it affect their ability to know right from wrong? And evidence said within a week that it did basically proved the insanity case and that was from the assistant defense attorney um, this was such a polarizing event people either had sympathy for her and cared for her or they hated her and um this is actually kind of funny because i mentioned that to my dad literally this morning and he said people didn't care for her nobody had sympathy for her if you look back then you like i said already um rusty came out and he was begging for sympathy for his wife, and obviously 
she has a defense team who cares about her and uh, hopefully believes her story, like, you know, what she was going through. And I don't know, I just feel like a lot. there's a lot of people out there who have sympathy for her because it's such a common position for women to end up in where we feel like we can't say what we're going through because then all of a sudden we're no longer strong or we're no longer capable of taking care of what we need to take care of. And that's definitely where she was. And I feel like that's really why it was such a polarizing event because a lot of women felt like they could they could sympathize with her and even her family sympathized with her because they loved her so much and she wasn't an evil person. She didn't take the kids to be an evil person. She took the kids to try to save their lives. Obviously, she did not know right from wrong because no sane person, like, you know, no person who knows right from wrong kills anybody with the intent of making their lives better, you know, especially a child. So if that doesn't tell you that she doesn't know right from wrong, just the fact that this was never who she was and she did it anyway, that should tell you a whole lot, you know. After spending some time on new antidepressants and antipsychotic meds in the prison, she began to answer some of the questions on why. So she was speaking with a psychiatrist and he asks her, what were you trying to accomplish when you did take the kids' lives? And Andrea said, maybe in their innocent years, God would take them up. The psych a little bit later in this interrogation says, um, all right, if you hadn't have taken their lives, what do you think would have happened? And Andrea replied, I guess they would have kept stumbling. She believed that they were going to end up in hell otherwise, literally. She believed that if they were not taken in their innocent years, that they would never be able, they would never be accepted by God into heaven. The psych asks her what sort of things they did, which showed her that they weren't right. And she answered, well, they did a lot of silly stuff and didn't obey. And the psych said, did not obey when you would tell them to do things? All right, you mentioned earlier before manners. Can you give me some examples of their manners? Andrea would tell him that they were generally disrespectful and that Rust they would call Rusty's mother names. And she believed that they did things that God wouldn't like, basically. Moving forward to their trial, her trial. Despite wanting to plead guilty, the defense entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity while the state went for the death penalty. For Andrea to be found criminally responsible, she had to be declared legally sane, which, like I mentioned, Texas is very strict about. The insanity defense is only actually used less than 1% of the time, and in, and in those, only 26% are argued successfully. So basically, it's very rare that somebody gets away with something on insanity. The defense lawyer knew how hard it would be, so they even at one point hired a trial jury to see how it would go over. And obviously, they just couldn't get over the fact that they killed, that she killed her children. Her trial began eight months after the murders. The defense was trying to simplify the case to get the jury to see past the literal interpretation of what she thinks right and wrong is. The state also used the fact that these, that she premeditated these murders at least to some extent because she had a specific order for killing the kids, you know. The defense used the idea that her illness made her too sick to know right from wrong 
They played um, for the jury the moment that Andrea exhibited extreme delusion. She said, Andrea, and I quote, they, they had been eating some candy one morning and we had TV cartoons on and it just finished a scene where the comic, the cartoon characters were talking to us. They were saying, hey kids, stop eating so much candy. And then the set flashed and it said, back to the program. She thought the TV was airing a special message just for her and her family. I believe she tried to get rid of the devil over and over, says the author of Breaking, Pe Breaking Point. The author also said the only option she had to save her children from an eternal life in hell was to kill them and sacrifice her own eternal life for the children. Andrea said, I was afraid Satan would ruin my children through himself and maybe even... I had some Satan in me. It was important to the def to the defense team that it wasn't on the, the devil made me do it basis. The cartoon about modern mother worldly that I read earlier also helped to prove that this was Andrea's delusion. Um, it was her religious delusion, basically. Defense also claimed that her initial interrogation should have been filmed to show her reactions right after the murders. Um, this would have helped because all the taped interrogations that they did have were weeks or months after the murders. So they don't really have anything of like how she really acted right after. Um, on top of that fact, she had been stabilizing on these new meds since the time of the murders up until the trial. So now she wasn't, you know, exhibiting as much mental illness as she was at that point um her defense psych psychiatrist actually said it might have been to andrea's legal advantage to not have been medicated but obviously it would not have been against her medical or you know to her medical advantage so they couldn't really risk that at that time it's hard to overcome all the state's emotional physical evidence um after three weeks dozens of witnesses it only took the jury three and a half hours to decide on a verdict. After they read the verdict, she looked right at her brother and tried to smile, but couldn't, and just started weeping. On March 12th, exactly one year after her father died, Andrea was found guilty of capital murder. After another 40 minutes of deliberation, they decided to spare her life. Um, but she didn't have any ability to judge what was right or wrong about the Warren Eckey preachings, and this had a huge effect on her choices. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it was a very pivotal, very pivotal case. Some people were clearly there for her and others thought that she didn't get what she deserved. So, you know, some people thought that she was put where she didn't belong. Others thought that she didn't get enough. So what she did is not who she is, says her childhood best friend. But the state attorney says she made a choice and she deserves to deal with the the repercussions of that choice. She was imprisoned at Skyview Unit Psychiatric Prison in East Texas, but in 2006, her attorney successfully appealed her case and got the verdict overturned. After the retrial, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity, like they wanted in the first place, and since 2007, she's been at Kerrville State Hospital. Even though she gets a chance for, for review once a year, uh, literally once a year, review and release once a year. She continues to decline, even to this day. Like up until this year, 2022, she's declined. 
Um, she says she's, or she doesn't say this, but the defense says that she says she's happy where she is and um, she's where she needs to be and wants to be. So I really wanted to talk about this case because I think it's very interesting societally. Um, we as a society are so quick to say, you committed a crime, you're locked up. But as we'll see in an episode that I have coming up in two weeks, um, this sometimes can make situations a lot worse. You know, I can't imagine what the outcome would have been if she had never been properly treated or taken care of for the things that she dealt with pretty much her whole adulthood and maybe even growing up. You know, we don't really know what she dealt with as a kid. Um, the fact that she strove for perfectionism shows me that she probably did have some type of stressor or mental health issue as a child that caused her to feel like she needed to be the best. Um, but we will never know because she definitely probably would never talk about that. So we will never know what she went through. Um, we do know a lot of what she went through as an adult and we know what we can do differently to help women who are going through postpartum psychosis or even just postpartum depression at this point in life. So um, hopefully as a society, we've learned something from this. I learned about this case in sociology class in high school, and I actually had messaged my old teacher before I started planning this episode and asked him. I felt like it was kind of a stupid question because he used to be my wrestling coach, so I didn't want to like embarrass myself, and I was like, this might be a stupid question, but why did you find it important to teach this to the class? I just wanted to know so I didn't like make up an answer, but he told me, he said, I think I teach her because if you look at her in high school, she's an everyday kid and then mental disorders take in and take over and she kills her five kids. I also see just so many signs that stood out as flags between her and her husband and nothing was truly done, which is also a good point because Rusty never really did anything to help her. He just kind of went to work and made the money and expected her to be okay with that. And, um, I mean, he didn't expect her to be okay with that because he says that they had conversations about it, but at the end of the day, he just kind of took her word for it, and my battery is running low. He kind of took her word for it, and that could have been handled differently, and maybe things would have ended differently if it was handled differently. You know, maybe she did want to go back to being a nurse. Maybe if she had gone back to being a nurse, she wouldn't have got into that state you know who knows but we'll we will never know um he also told me about how important the religious aspect of it was and after doing more research now I really see that because the she was so lost in their teachings that she didn't care what messes they were making in people's lives she just she just believed them basically overall it's an unfortunate case for Andrea but also for the kids and you know, the people who loved them that also lost them. Going back to the beginning of the episode, the question of the week, where do you stand on in this case? Um, I personally am kind of in the middle, obviously. I think she's where she, sh she should be right now. I believe not guilty by reason of insanity is a good is a good answer for this case. If I was on the jury, I probably would have stuck with that in the first place. Um, I don't know. I just don't see it as something that she could help. I don't see it as something that anybody could have done a whole lot at the like to when at the point that she was at. 
there wasn't a whole lot that anybody could do because she was so invested in the Warnecke teachings that that was just that. That was just her life, you know. So let me know down in the Q&A below um, on Spotify what you think about this case. And also, I'm going to be running another poll this week, so go check out that poll down below as well. Um, quote of the week. I asked my dad this morning for a quote because I didn't have one. I noticed that I didn't have one ready yet, but um, we thought that we should keep it light this week since we talked about such a heavy topic. My dad's grandpa, my mom's, my, my mom's, <laughs> my dad's grandpa, my, my dad's mom's dad, so my great, great grandpa, no. My great-grandpa. Yeah, my grandpa. My great-grandpa. <laughs> Papa. He used to say, eat every potato and pee on your plate. And there's no context behind that. You know, I just... It's a funny one. It's a goofy silly. And it makes my family smile. So hopefully it made you smile too. And maybe you'll start saying it to your family members. It's just funny. Uh, he just used to like say it to the kids and the family and stuff. So just a cute little thing. Thank y'all for listening to this episode this week. I hope you enjoyed, and I definitely enjoy doing these cases about true crime, especially ones like this that have more of a, like, societal, what can we do different question that's kind of backing it, or just a lot of, like, different aspects that go into it. So let me know what you guys think. If you like this episode, if you guys like the true crime episodes, let me know if there's any other families or um, cases that you want me to do. Because, like I said, I do like the crime stuff, and it's very controversial. Very controversial. So, <laughs> I think it's perfect for my podcast anyway. But, if you want to find me outside of any um, podcast listening platform that you're on, there will be a link below. Also, don't forget to check out the resources link. It is updated weekly, or at least I try to update it weekly with new stuff. Um, but yeah, you guys have a great rest of your week, and I will talk to you next time. Bye!